Welcome to Straight Edge, the podcast. My name is Clive Allwright, and along with my amazing guests and co-hosts, we're going to be having some brutally honest and sometimes confronting conversations around all things of addictive behavior. Now, as it happens, I've been a hairdresser for 37 years, and during my career, I've met many people just like me that have also struggled in the many different areas of addiction. So our main focus of this podcast is to chat with as many people as possible from the hairdressing, barbering, and media industries, along with some pretty smart people that work in the fields of addiction to get a deeper understanding of why so many of us struggle with the balance of family, careers, health, and the day-to-day pressures of life. So if this sounds like an area you'd like to dive deeper into, make a cup of tea, sit back, and listen to Straight Edge, the podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Straight Edge the Podcast and I'm your host Clive Aura and I'm joined once again by the wonderful, lovely co-host this morning. Morning Amy. Good morning, how are you today? I am good, this is a first because, um, well because basically it's the first time we've been in the studio since we we had a back catalogue of the first three episodes yeah. before we went live so... And you know, uh, it's been it's been a couple of weeks since yeah. we've been in here yeah. and all sharing our own stories. So, you know, today's going to be a great day because we've got a really, really great guest joining us this it's morning. Super excited. And, and thank you to everyone that subscribed, listened into the podcast. We really are appreciative of it's gone bonkers and we, you know, all over the world. So we're super excited and we're super excited, to, as you mentioned, to have our first guest in the studio this morning. Um, Shane is with us. He's the previous um, CEO of Weave Youth Services here in Sydney, Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has a Lifetime Achievement Award for drug and alcohol counselling. So we're super Amazing. excited to get an industry professional yeah. to chat because instead of us addicts just talking yeah. about how bad life got, um, <laughs> we thought it'd be good that actually knows what they're talking about that's and could right. actually go, no, that's not right. This is not right. So and. Apart from that as well, yeah. um, on a personal level, um, as you heard in my first episode, swimming was a big part of my recovery. And Shane, believe it or not, was a big part of that too. He doesn't know that, but he was part of our uh, original um, ocean swim group. And wow. when I was out there in the ocean and I was petrified, Shane was like, come on, you've got this. Let's go. And so, Shane, I know you've been in the pool this morning. Welcome. Lovely to be here with you guys. It's so lovely to see you. And it was after a swim a couple of weeks ago when I was telling you about the podcast mm. and what we were doing. And then you, you know, you announced to me that you, you know, your background in this yeah. as a specialist. So, yeah. it, you know, I'm a true believer that everything happens for a reason. And and, and it's so lovely to get you well, on as I'm our first guest. I'm excited to be here. No, it's a it's yeah. a pleasure. Yeah. Um, and now, I know, think we've all had our addictions so you know I've had mine as well so you know. yeah exactly. <laughs> I'm talking earlier about giving up cigarettes so you know it's yeah. not easy well giving up anything yeah not that's easy, right you know. yeah I think that's the whole you know thing that's been popping up on 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 our discussions is you know even addicted to your phone it could be anything yeah. you know food yeah exactly yeah. so you know we've all been there so it's so great to have yeah. you on here be really interesting to explore addiction on another level yeah so tell us that you've been in the industry for 35 years as a drug and alcohol counsellor. What what yeah. does that look like? So um, I started working in Red. I, I'm from New Zealand. I started. I came over uh, from New Zealand when I was 19 with $50 and lived in a squat for many years. <laughs> um, uh, but I started working at um, South Sydney Youth Services, which is now called Weave. Yeah. And I worked with young people who were using heroin and other drugs in the Redfern area. 
it was a there was a big influx of dr- those drugs at that time, uh, and I just I used to hang out on the street with young people, and when they needed help, they'd ask for my advice, advice and support, and I'd always wait. I, I wanted to build a good relationship with them first, and then if they needed my help, I could offer support. Wow! I've done a whole lot of sort of counselling, but drug and alcohol counselling is one of the things that I've done a lot of. So, um, and it can happen in different ways as well. You know, driving in a car, sitting on the side of the street, in a room—it doesn't matter where you are. You can do that work. You, you know, we're all we're all talking to each other all the time about what works and what doesn't. And counselling is just a more formal way of doing that stuff. So, yeah, amazing. And so we've we've worked specifically or specifically with you, the youth in young in people, around this yeah. area, which a is lot where of we're young now. people as well. Yeah, excellent. So congratulations on yeah, doing some thanks. amazing work, yeah. you, um, and we'll delve into that as we go through. Yeah. So I want to kick off by starting by saying that we have been aware of massive increase in addiction rates, um, certainly since COVID. Mm. Um, and I know that, um, you know, the, out of the US, there's been some staggering figures. Mm. So um, do you want to just, uh, if you can, just sort of... Sure. Um, so so uh, there's certainly been an increase in, in drug use and addiction since COVID, and for a whole range of reasons. But in America, um, I don't have the Sydney figures, but in America there was a 23% increase in alcohol abuse and a 16% increase in drug abuse. Was uh, that during COVID? That's during COVID. Wow. So during and, and just after COVID. So that's a huge increase. Mm. Um, and I think that that increase is due to a whole lot of things. Uh, unavailable, you know, services not being available, um, um, specific supports not being available. Social isolation. I don't know about you, but I, I was working throughout the whole of COVID, so I was lucky. Yeah. But there are a lot of people who are stuck at home uh, and weren't able to get out. And you know, we just we forget how important socialisation. Yeah. Being with others is yeah. when you don't have it. Yeah. You just take it for granted. When well, it gives. Do. I think it gives you a sense of purpose as well, yeah. right? Like yeah. you know, whether it's seeing people or whether it's actually doing your job. I think yeah. it, those th- we need those things as human beings to actually you know keep us alive <laughs> we need we need to feel needed yeah and we need to be feel that we're valuable as part of the community mm. and covid kind of reduced a lot of that so yeah mm. and and certainly um when you don't feel respected or useful drug uh, drugs and alcohol become mm. much more tempting so it, it's interesting because i got sober and clean in 2019 so just before COVID kicked in and one of the things that was in my mind I mean it was almost a blessing for me in my recovery because there was nothing going on so I didn't feel like I was missing out on anything but I also was aware that during my drinking and drugging that uh, if I could just be home with the doors closed and the the blinds pulled Mm. um, I would be in my element I'd probably be dead because you know that I I in my story, I had to get up and go to work. I had to, you know, have all that commitment. But, you know, but if you of, don't have if, that, if you then... don't have it, then I, th- I kept thinking every day, oh my God, if I wasn't, if, if, if the the money that I did have before COVID, I would have chewed through that very quickly, mm. and then my life would have been finished, right? Because <laughs> it was like I wouldn't have anywhere to live. Because, yeah. excuse me, <clears throat> you know, being in my own home with the doors closed for months upon end 
to me was like utopia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just wouldn't have any way of paying for anything. Yeah. But, you know, and so yeah. I can see how it would be easy to like, I'm not coping because we've mm. got that mental health side of it as well, where you just yeah. go, I'm yeah. just, and that's, we discussed in the previous episodes that we, we don't, this is all progressive. Right? We just don't wake up one day and say we're an addict. We just, mm. it just happens. And what a better time to be alone and think, right? Because I know that alcohol delivery went through the roof. And, they did, yeah. You know, um, we yeah. had you know, various different delivery services yeah. in Sydney. And, and Yeah, well, new delivery services were popping up, obviously, to, to, to meet the needs. And, yeah. um, you know, it just became easy. I think that people, you know, underestimate. They also think that harder drugs are the problem. Whereas tobacco and alcohol are the two biggest problems in mm. terms of addiction mm. and the, the, the cost to the economy and to people's lives. And they think, oh, you know, heroin, amphetamines, yeah. those things are, are, are more of a problem. But actually, alcohol is up there. All the legal drugs. Yeah, the, the legal ones. The yeah. legal ones, yeah. you know. So it, is, is alcohol the most addictive? Tobacco is the number one and then alcohol second. Isn't that unbelievable? Mm. I just want to say I'm on day five on the patches right now. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about cigarettes before. Yeah. We met in the coffee shop. Can you please share that story? Sure. I, I think it's fabulous. So I I uh, gave up smoking cigarettes probably about uh, 15 years ago, and I read Alan Carr's book. Right. right. And Alan Carr wrote the book in 1980. Wow, is yeah, he that old? Yes, yeah, that old. He what do you mean? He was at high school then. He's dead now. He's he's dead. Oh, he died. Wow. I didn't even know that. But um, and he's really sexist. Yeah, right. Um, but it's a but he 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 writes this book. It's got eight. It's eight hundred pages, and it's How to Give Up Smoking by Alan Carr. Mm. Please get a copy. Yeah. I read it, mm. and it completely. I, he said, "Smoke while you smoke while you're reading the book, and by the end of it, you will not want to smoke." And by the end of it, I just stopped. And what it taught me, what it taught me personally, and it may be different for others, but I, I'm sure it, it's a pretty common theme, is that um, our psychological attitude to addiction is really probably 50 or percent or more of what addiction is about. And if you can overcome the psychological um, addiction, you're in a really good place to stop. So. Um, I can smoke occasionally as well. I went on holiday recently and I had a pack, you know, a packet or two of cigarettes. I came home, I smoked the last cigarette and had some lollies the next day as a treat to stop and no problem. Whoa. So, I'm so jealous. You know, yeah. <laughs> not everyone's the same, but, you know, yeah. but it's true. Um, so the, world, the world we live in also says things are addictive and then they become more addictive to in your mind. And you go, well, it's going to be even harder. Mm. And people talk about how difficult it is to give up cigarettes. But actually, Alan Carr says it's really easy. And if you believe Alan Carr, you just you believe him. Yeah. So do you th- is that part of it then, you think? It's the belief system. Absolutely. Yeah, if you believe it's going to be hard and you believe it's a, a problem. So alcohol's not the same. If yeah. you've got an addiction to alcohol and you need to withdraw, you need to do it carefully. You yeah. can't yeah. just stop. Yeah. yeah. There's the truth. That's the truth. If you have a serious alcohol addiction, you need to get your, you need to see your GP and you need to get treatment, and you need to withdraw slowly in a detox environment because it can so, kill you. Yeah. So because yeah. it can kill you if mm. you've got a really serious problem, mm. but certainly attitude and psychological addiction is you know is at least half or more of what addiction is that, about. That's wow. so true because we spoke about that in my episode when Amy asked me you know. Um, 
what why did you stop and it was like understanding why i was doing it what made me what what was the psychological reason that i needed to i felt like i needed to drink you know and i have a very similar thing now because i haven't drank in four years when i and i've never had a sweet tooth right? i was always a savory person but when i finish dinner now my mind instantly says you need a little bit of chocolate Right? <laughs> okay. And if I don't, in like my wife's like, we're not, we don't have any chocolate in the house. Right? And so just you know, get, have some yogurt and berries. And I'm like, nah. yeah, <laughs> yogurt and berries. It's like if you want some chocolate, that's got to be one of the worst yeah. things that someone can say to and you. And I'm like, oh no, I just want a little bit of dairy milk. But the thing is, is I can't stop at one. I just have to eat the whole block. So psychologically. Mm. It's that same trigger that I have with, oh, I need a glass of wine with my dinner. If I'm having pasta, pasta was a big thing for me. Pasta, I wanted to feel like that Floyd chef, you know, when he got drunk when he was cooking pasta. Um, But, yeah, I'm going off track again. No, but but this is what I find fascinating. It's more the psychological element to it and and unpacking um, all the things that lead you to that point as well. Yeah. I think... I think people are mistaken, uh, and maybe I was too at some point in my life, to think that if you're addicted, it was a choice or, no. or you know, um, yeah, you've chosen that path. But no, 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 it's no. really, really not. No, it's no, the no. actual opposite of that. Yeah. So, you know, the stigma, um, the stigma associated with addiction is, is half the battle for someone with an addiction. Right. Because people, people judge people with an addiction as being irresponsible, lazy, indulgent, all these things that they're not. And and if we can get past the stigma and start to treat people like people and their addiction as an addiction, mm. then we're, we've got half the battle won because it's just, it's a medical problem like any other. And there are different things that influence it. And, um, and taking away the stigma is number one important thing to do because if someone wants to recover, they need to be able to feel comfortable to talk about what's happened. And isn't that very prevalent in alcohol? When, mm. you know, as I've mentioned before, alcohol is the only drug you may have to make excuses for when you need when you stop taking it because it's so socially acceptable. You know, if someone mm. thinks, um, as Louise mentioned on her episode, you know, just having a bottle of wine a night, but, you know, that to the average, to me, that you don't have a problem. But to her, that was an issue. Mm. Um, but she's very reluctant to say, oh, I don't drink. Um, because of the stigma that's attached to that. Um, look at what, oh, both ways. You're talking about both ways. So not drinking and drinking. Yeah. They right. both have a problem, don't they? Yeah. Drink too much and you're, you're a problem. Drink too little and you're just a wowser. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like what's wrong with you? Why aren't you yeah. drinking? Yeah, what you know? is that about? Yeah. I don't understand that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like people don't want to accept that y- you don't drink. So, but why would someone, why does someone feel um, that they're going to be judged if they don't drink? Like, I don't feel like that. Yeah, I wouldn't let the people do that to me. So, what have, is, is it about social pressure? Or? I think it's definitely social pressure. Correct. I think it's around mm-hmm. you all the time, and it's mm-hmm. it's got worse. I think since like the media, let's say, yeah. and the advertisement of alcohol, how it's advertised to you, how it's sold to you, yeah. you hear it all the time. I even heard it on the radio on the way in here that yeah. someone said, "Oh, um, oh, we'll have to meet up and we'll let's have a discussion over a rosé." And then they were like, "Oh, a bottle of rosé," you know, and yeah, yeah. Just yeah, it, yeah. It's, it, it's in you wherever you go. You see it on side of buses, you know, yeah, an alcohol yeah. brand. It's everywhere. Or it's everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And, of course, people minimise the impact of alcohol for people who have a problem with it. Yeah. And it's, you know. So this would be 
after talking to Louise last week, um, I guess if you're out there and you're thinking, well, I don't know if I've got a problem, but I feel like I need to have a drink every night. Mm. But um, And I want to discuss this in, like, I'm in a 12-step program because mine got too out of control. If you're in that grey area, right, and obviously there are 12-step programs, what other forms <coughs> of... Sorry. Bless you. <coughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, go again. <laughs> um, no, let's, I think that's cute. Let's <laughs> keep that in. Um, uh, I think... Okay, so instead of doing a 12-step program, which is, to some people, absolutely terrifying, to walk into a meeting and go, mm. I am an alcoholic or I am an addict or whatever. There are, you mentioned to me when we were having coffee, you said, do you know anything about smart recovery? Yeah. Um, can you, because I've never experienced anything else but a 12-step program. What, what other things are available to someone, say, who is in There's that There's a lot of things. There's Excellent. a lot of things. So the first thing I'd say is um, that people can call the... Um, the Alcohol and Other Drugs Information Service on 1-800-250-015 and it's a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week telephone counselling support and referral service and they have all of the services. You can ask any number of questions that you have about what sort of support I can get. Yeah. Um, you can get counselling. Counselling's a really good thing to... to I think counselling's a gentle way to start. Right. Uh, and you can get free um, psychological support by getting a, a um, healthcare um, a report from your GP, which you can use to then get free counselling. Right. Uh, the Addis Service can tell you about that as well. There's um, there's uh, AA and NA, and they're very good as well. Twelve Steps is very good for some people. Sure. There's Smart Recovery. Which what is, is Smart a, Recovery? Smart recovery is a uh, it's it's a therapeutic environment where people talk about their issues and share their their problems and solutions. It's not as formula driven as uh, the twelve step program. Some people find that a bit too much. Um, it's more uh, it has a, it's led by someone, um, and it lasts the same amount of time as a as a NA or AA meeting. But it's more therapeutic, right. and it's about discussing and talking about trauma and a whole range of other things that impact your addiction and how you can and move is away that, from that. Is that a program that goes it's for free. a period of time? No, it's ongoing. Just ongoing, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. And it's all free? It's all free, yeah. It's, it's a really good model, so smart recovery. Have, just look it up, and you'll see the places that it's on. Right. Similarly, with AA and NA, you can just see where the meetings are. Yeah. But it's a different way, and it's a nice thing to look at if you're struggling a little bit with... Sure. Um, uh, detox is really important for some people, um, particularly with alcohol, if you've got a serious problem. To come off it slowly. Mm. Yeah, to be actually in a medical, you know, to be in a detox environment um, yeah. for those drugs. Um, rehab. So detox is usually, two, you know, one or two or three weeks. And rehab for some people can be up to a year. Yeah, you can stay, um, you know, you can stay for shorter periods. But some, for some addictions, you need to stay for a longer period. I know and there are a lot the, of them. Yeah, I know. In the UK, my friend was in a rehab for about. Well, a lot of the guys go into rehab for about twelve months, which yeah, is, I right. think, what's the time here in Australia? It's for, just twelve. A lot, a lot of those rehab programs are twelve months. Yeah. Yeah. And, and someone, the, uh, so, and did, is that how long it takes? It can. 
it, everyone's different. But, yeah. but for some of those, for certainly for some of those really deep, deep addictions, you need to spend a time, a lot of time in a uh, in a therapeutic community, changing the way you live. Yeah. Getting rid of the friends that you had. Yeah. Moving away from your lifestyle. Often, you know, we Which all is know. Difficult. Yeah. We all know that smoke. if you're in an environment where someone smokes, you want to, you know, you might, I don't know anyone who smokes. So mm. I, so that's a really good thing. Yeah. Yeah. But I've got two. You're friends. not tempted all the time. I'm never it's tempted. I'm never you. tempted. Yeah. It's and similarly for any of those other drugs, you need to. You know, choosing your friends is not easy. You know, you don't. You think you can have any friends you want. You can't. Yeah. You have to be really selective in a lot of ways because if you don't, if, particularly if you've got problems with addiction, because being drawn back into them mm. through influence is just huge. Mm. And I think that was one of the things that I touched on in my episode was uh, one of the things that was my whole circle of friends was people that I used to drink with. Um, and when I explained to them that I, I needed to stop, in fact, a lot of them encouraged it, that there was a percentage of them that were really supportive and said, you know, OK, we'll, we'll go out and do other things. And there are a, a big percentage of those people that I don't hear from anymore. Mm. Um, so that was a big part. And that's a real that's a real scary situation to go, OK, well, if I stop drinking, I'm going to lose contact with all these people. I'm going to stop being funny. I'm going to stop them, yeah. even though it wasn't funny. Mm. Um, <clears throat> but all these maybe you can't afford to have them in your life for, for that's a right. yeah. period of time. Yeah. But going back to, if I may, going yeah, back yeah. to the um, detox thing, yeah. I had a situation with a friend of ours who was uh, alcohol dependent. And during COVID... And we took them to our house and I spoke with someone who, was a, who worked in a rehab and I said, I can't get this person to voluntarily go yeah. into, um, into a detox. Yeah. Um, and in, and he, they said, be very careful. Give them a, a cap of vodka every hour, okay. just a, like a little nip of vodka because they can go into shock. Yeah, that's um, yeah. And unfortunately... the. We, we then discovered that this person at our house had drunk two bottles of hand sanitizer. And um, mm. and we, I then called an ambulance and took um, this person to, to St. Vincent's. Yep. One of the things that terrified me was the doctor said, I cannot hold them here against their will. Yep. And they're saying all the right things that they need to say to get out. Mm-hmm. And I cannot admit them into a rehab unless they actually voluntarily want to go. And then That's it right. opened up a whole uh, nightmare. And as far as I'm concerned, is that they said the rehabs are full. Yeah. So can wow. you t- talk us through? Well, what's the, the process? Okay. Well, there's a whole lot of things there. The first is that you're not responsible for someone else's life. Right. Yeah. They are responsible. Yeah. And if it's you take way. responsibility, nothing's going to happen. You can right. be a support. You can you can be supportive, and encouraging. But people have to make a decision for themselves about what they do in their lives. That's very that's true. really important because they've got to ta- want to do it. If you take on their worry and concern, they don't need to worry, do they? Yeah. Calling the ambulance was a good thing. It's true that people can't be kept for long periods of time, and it costs a huge amount of money if you do end up in hospital. Um, rehabs. Uh, and detoxes don't like people calling for someone. Right. They in fact tell you we're not talking to you. We need to yeah, hear from the person. That. Yeah. Right. So so the person who's got the problem needs to call. And sometimes it's waiting there's a waiting list. Mm. But if you think about someone's addiction and how long they've been addicted, mm. they can wait until a bed becomes available. Because 
because making a ra- uh, uh, making a, uh, an instant decision to go to detox, uh, it's it's a bigger decision that that anyway. Yeah. And there are there are sometimes problems with finding a service, but they're there. There's probably ten or fifteen uh, detoxes and rehabs in New South Wales, and they're easy to find. Do you, have you heard of newer? New South Wales Users and Aid no. Association. They have, they have a, um, they have a booklet that comes out monthly, and they have all the detoxes in them. And if you if you want to get into a detox or a rehab, you need to ring each of them, and put your name down, and and keep ringing them. Yeah. And they'll expect you to ring, keep ringing. And if you do keep ringing, you'll get in. Because one of the other things as well um, was that the cost. I think yeah. it was about ten thousand dollars for the month. All of the public. Um, I'm talking about public yeah, sure. ones. They all charge um, what what you would get on Centrelink benefit. Right. Okay. For so, those people that are not in Australia, that would be the government yeah. sort of yeah, subsidised program. Yeah. 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 Um, so they're all there, and they certainly cost less than the price you pay for your drugs. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it, isn't it? Yeah. 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 I wonder. Can we mind jumping back a, a, a little bit as well to? Um, you know, when we were talking about what's the, like influence around you and, and your experience with that, because obviously you've worked with a lot of young people, mm-hmm. especially in Redfern. Mm-hmm. Um, and how, do, how, how can someone deal with it when they can't escape? Uh, you know, like it's not so easy to cut your friends out. It's actually your family or your, your, your community that's around you that are also addicted or in mm-hmm. some kind of addictive behavior. That's really hard. How do those people get out of that cycle it can be really difficult um but in some circumstances it can be the catalyst for change because they see their family and they say i don't want to i don't want to be like that and i'm and i'm getting there so 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 when someone's stuck in that circumstance it's it can be harder but it can also be a motivator to go i don't want to particularly for young people I, i really don't want to be like that and they people can separate themselves emotionally um, particularly if they've got support from a youth worker or a counsellor or someone else, you know, finding a person who's not in that circumstance and gravitating towards them while still staying in that mm. situation can really help. Mm. Um, but certainly, think even just thinking about who you who you're surrounding yourself with and how you can make inroads into other relationships is yeah. a good thing. Yeah. People don't think about it; they just don't. They don't even think it's an issue yeah. until, and, and and unless they can step back from it and think about it, mm. it's very hard to, it's very hard to change your situation if you're in that circumstance. But not impossible. Mm. Yeah, it's funny. I've worked with um, a young lad who's now an amazing barber um, that worked through a program that we had um, with our Pillaru organisation where we took young kids off the street and got them excited into, you know, going into the field of hairdressing and barbering. And he, he came and met me last week, and he's, he's, I met this kid. He was living in a, a refuge, basically, mm. and uh, he's now a successful barber. I'm right. going to get him on the podcast, actually. Mm. And he was explaining that his father, who'd been addicted to heroin, he won't mind me saying this because he's very open about it, he was addicted to heroin, and he was sort of raised in that environment. His father recently passed away, and I... I said to him, you know, was did uh, you did you ever go down that pathway of drugs? And he said, I I just saw what happened to my dad, and I promised myself that I wouldn't do it. Like because he yeah. said, I just saw my dad was not present. The overdoses, the constant ambulance calls, and 
bits and pieces, which is an extreme, but you know, there's a very very small percentage of people that actually don't follow that, right? Yeah. And it's so to 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 really focus on what's positive in your life and and do, and and as you said, Shane. You've really got to want to change. You've really yeah. got to want to remove yourself well, from it's that. Well, it's not even about wanting to change. It's, the, it's finding the right time. For some people, it's not the right time. Mm. And if you, f- if you force people into change at the wrong time, they won't succeed. Yeah. Um, often it takes young people until they're 20, 21, 22, 23, yeah. or whenever, to mm. realise that they need to change. And making sure that you're, you know, you're there to support someone when they... Want to change is important. I think that's when it took me till I was fifty, so I was a bit yeah, of a slow learner on that one. <laughs> but um, you know, and, and and I guess my mind goes to you now. I'm thinking about Aaron and um, and m- numerous other people that and I've and, and that have said to me when I was in the depths of addiction that that just my wife said to me she goes just watching sitting back here and watching you kit slowly kill yourself is really awful. What can a family member do? Um, if you've got someone, say like a son or a daughter or you know a husband or a mm-hmm. wife or whatever, and you see them, you know, because I think we we discussed at the beginning, addiction just doesn't turn on, right? It's no. it's progressive. Well, I what, think the first thing you've got to do is and is you've got to think to yourself, what am I doing to enable this person to continue yeah. to be addicted? What are the things that I'm doing that are enabling? What yeah. would be an example of that? Oh, continuing to drink around someone who's an alcoholic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Buying drugs and taking them while they don't, while, while you expect your partner not yeah. to, all those practical, simple things. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, um, sometimes, sadly, sometimes people have to lose enough yeah. before they decide that they need change. And so, you know, you may, you may need to have some rules in the family. If you do this, we're going to kick you out. Yeah. Because yeah. there's nothing worse than living with someone who's in the depths of an addiction, who's t- using you to support their addiction. So you need to kind of separate yourself from that. And sometimes you have to be a bit hard. To and, I th- and I think that happens in a lot of marriages. I know it certainly happened mm. in mine that, mm. you know, if I felt like a drink... Um, like if I was alone, I'd just go and drink. But I'd say to my wife, "Oh, should we have a glass of wine?" Like this, and you almost look for that green light to say, yeah. "Let's do it." And, and you I'd... told me about a story about that about your wife actually saying to you, you know, saying, "We're we're on we're on holiday, we're on holiday. Yeah. yeah, have yeah. a have, have a, a drink. drink." But yeah. she wasn't it wasn't her fault. It's not her yeah. fault. No. no, but it was enabling, and it's not not her. It's nothing. No. to yeah. do with her. She didn't understand it. No, more than but, I did. But, yeah. but but being aware of that, she might not. You know, like not saying that stuff's really important. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things when you if you are in a relationship with someone, and if you want to stop and the other person doesn't, that's a real mm. challenge because I. I can remember when I lived in America, I watched Chris Rock do a stand-up, and he'd done this uh, scene as such, and I'll try and get this as right as I can, and he said, you know, when you're in a relationship, he said, you can't have one person go to church and the other one smoke crack. Yeah. Right? <laughs> because you either got to both smoke crack yeah. or you both got to go to church, right? There you go. <laughs> and I remember you always, always step into the voice, the accent. Yeah, you know, it's my chameleon side, they're like trying to fit in. Like, <laughs> from, around, from around Americans, I talk American. Yeah. <laughs> but I was... You know, and that was very prevalent th- through my life. It was like, oh, if I, if I drink alone, I'm going to probably feel like a bit of a loser. I've only just mown the grass. It's 11 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And I go, oh, do you fancy a G&T? She goes, it's a bit early. Go on then. 
Yeah. And it's like, ah. Yeah. And so if I stopped, then there's a fear there, a real fear of, well, what are we going to do? Mm. Like I was listening to Sarah, who we're going to get on the podcast from Perth. Oh, yeah? Name, yeah. And she was on Sober Dave's um podcast and she was saying that when they got home from work they would go and have a beer in the back garden and then go right behind the washing line and have a cheeky cigarette but they communicated during that time yeah that was when they spoke when they both got sober they were like oh we don't talk anymore because we don't have that time there you go we don't have enabling isn't it we don't have that time so So being addicted together is the other issue you know if you're surrounded by people who are doing the same thing that's reinforced and constantly becomes even more reinforced and even more difficult to escape. Yeah. You know, because I know my wife's going to hate me for saying this. We might have to edit this out. But, you know, when the drugs and alcohol came in, the the music went on. There was crazy sex. Yeah. It was like this whole thing that happened. Yeah. And... I and then I guess that that when that stops, go, it's oh like, well, well yeah, what yeah. are we gonna do for yeah. fun? Well, maybe, <laughs> yeah. you know, do we even like well, each other anymore? Yeah, <laughs> you know, we, we've just recently just uh, um, we've made a, a pact because we went down that road as well. We just were doing our own recovery in our own way, and we were two very separate paths, and mm. neither could see or hear each other for a long period of time. Especially when I went to the UK, and you know we did end up in counselling, mm. and um, and. One of the things the counsellor pointed out, which is so blatantly obvious to me right now, it's like, you need to go for lunch once a week, yeah. just the two of you, and ask each other how your week's been. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and well, what have you been dealing with? Because we had such a great time. Like in our mind, I mean, I'm just rabbiting on here, but we don't remember the pain or the pleasure, right, as such. You remember you had a good time, but you don't remember how you felt, uh, felt afterwards. So you go, oh, I've kind of missed that. That was a good yeah. time, but I don't remember the hangover. Um, I think the other thing that you need to do uh, to to help someone is to um, to to ask them questions about how they are, and and also to acknowledge that trauma can be a a big trigger for addiction, mm. childhood trauma, sexual abuse, yeah, poor parenting, mm. domestic violence. A whole lot of things cause trauma. Yeah. Um, and people aren't, aren't often aware of why they feel the way they feel. Yeah. And feeling feeling out of sorts and lonely and desperate mm-hmm. can often come from trauma. I, I, I mentioned this in, in, in our other podcast as well, and I think we, we don't live in a society that supports feelings. No. And um, we live in a society to escape feelings. And I think that leads people down that path because there's a lot of shame attached to it or saying, actually, you know what, I'm not having a good time and I'm actually really not feeling good right now. Mm. It, it, it's, it's hard to say that out loud and, yeah. it, and you don't know how someone's going to judge you. You don't know how, like, what they're going to think, what they're going to say. Can they even help? So we don't address it. We just ignore it. And I think that, like you said, you know, like... The, the, the increase in the issues with women of, of my age and upwards, you know, mm. in their 40s and 50s, mm. that um, have never had an issue with drink and then all of a sudden at that age have an issue because mm. life gets too much. Mm. Um, they can't deal with the stresses, you know, like they, they and the, the, the wine increase when they get home and then, you know, just dealing with life and teenagers yeah. or whatever. Um, and people just don't talk about it. And you know what? Talking about it's the key, 
and 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 it doesn't matter it doesn't matter who you talk about it with you've got to find someone you trust obviously it could be a counselor it could be a partner it could be the, your friends but but to talk about it is um, gives you a greater understanding of who you are and and what 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 makes you tick and how how your emotional world is because because once you've dealt with that stuff it's such a release yeah and so much yeah. better and you feel much better yeah you know because it's yeah. like a pressure cooker isn't it yeah i mean even just in day-to-day life if you've you know my wife you know she we all face challenges at work and i said you know and then louise pointed out to me recently she's mm. like don't send anything by text just have a conversation yeah, yeah. it's like a pressure cooker that yeah. goes off Talking Don't of which, look at social media, my God. Yeah. Then you'll really get depressed. Yeah. Oh. Well, because because everyone promotes their good, their their their, their wonderful moments, yep. which are one percent of their. And in fact, the stru- our struggles are a celebration in a way. Like mm. if we celebrate our struggles, yeah, mm. we're in a better place too. Yeah. You talking about abandonment, trauma, all that kind of stuff. Call me old fashioned, but when I see families out with children and they're in a restaurant and they're not communicating they're just the kids are just handed a device i mm. see it in the salon when mm. you know clients bring their kids in to get their hair cut they can't be told to sit and still they've got to be given a phone yeah. to watch something to distract them mm. and i think they're missing i mean i'm not an expert on this but they're missing some serious understanding of social integration with yeah. communicating with people yeah. i think I'm, I'm quite scared to see this next generation of human beings um unfortunately how how that's going to be because the amount of teenagers and 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 friends who've got teenagers that are saying they're socially anxious. Yeah. They they don't talk to friends. It's all through message. Yeah. You know, that face-to-face communication is really difficult. COVID, obviously, was a big part yeah. of that yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, and so that normal human interaction, I'm worried for them, yeah. if I'm completely honest, because that creates a lot of mental health problems. It does. Um, and mental health is at the heart of addiction. Yeah. We've had some beautiful messages of support since we've started this podcast. And my good friend, Nick Irwin in London, is an amazing hairdresser, messaged me privately and he said, congratulations on having this conversation. He said, in London right now, there is a tornado of mental health issues. Mm. Um, what are your thoughts on, you know, where, where, how bad is the situation in Sydney in regards to what you're seeing? Well, um, there's... Well, uh, I, w- I wouldn't call it a, a, a crisis. Uh, you know, we all we all um, ha- suffer from many of us suffer from mental health issues. The problem is that we don't deal with them. Yeah. Um, so depression. So for example, depression and anxiety. People don't think that's serious. They think if you've got depression, well, you're not really depressed. You know, what's depression? Well, actually, it's a really serious condition. Yeah. That can cause you to be suicidal. Yeah. Anxiety is a real thing. And people need to understand that those conditions are not just names. Um, people have more serious issues like schizophrenia and um, bipolar disorder and a whole range of different conditions. But um, it can be difficult to find support. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Um, but you can go to your local health service and do a walk-in if you've got a mental health issue and get an assessment. Um, yeah. m- most... Men- um, most uh, Health, you know, Sydney-run health services have a walk-in for a mental health assessment, so that's good. Yeah, you can get you can get psychological support. Um, so, it's important to reach out if you feel 
that you're not coping, reach out to someone and have a chat. You know, campaigns like Are You OK? are really mm. important. Mm. Um, and there's lots of support out there if you, if you want it. There's lots of online support as well for things like uh, um, anxiety, you know, assessments for anxiety, a whole range of... We can put them in the... Mm. We can put those links in the... And I get that's great. We'll put all that in the show yeah. notes of where we can mm. get help because one of the things that I struggled with was when I thought about speaking to my GP because I ran a business and I was still married and on the surface it all looked amazing... And if I, I was obviously, my doctor would always say to me, how many units of alcohol are you drink in a week? And I would, you know, lie. And then I found out afterwards he would just naturally double that. Yeah. Um, but I guess one of the things is, is that there is a fear, a real fear of people going, well, I don't want to go to the doctor because maybe it's not that bad. Um, yeah. And maybe the doctor's drinking more than I am. Because, mm. you know, like yeah. when you go, I'm drinking a bottle of wine a night and he'll go, Oh, well, there's nothing wrong I with that. I think the GP is the first port of call. It's yeah. the easiest one. Yeah. And uh, for some people who are not working, it's hard to afford going mm. to the GP. But, but certainly the GP is a good first point of call. They're not going to judge you. Yeah. Um, you need to be honest with your GP. Yeah. I always lie about my weight. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think no. I better tell him how much I actually weigh. Yeah. Um, uh, so you know, GP first port of call. Um, but um, certainly, you know, there's a lot of problems with young people on suicide at the moment. Mm. Um, if you're feeling suicidal, you need to reach out to Lifeline or one of those numbers yeah. or talk to a friend. Get a plan for when you're feeling suicidal to, to make sure you've got supports and you can talk to someone so it doesn't happen. Yeah. Mm. Um, don't think that because don't, don't think that if you have a mental health issue, you're going to get locked up. Because that's not going to happen, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's not enough services to lock people up. Yeah. Right. Um, you 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 know, but you do need to get you do tr try not to to stigmatize the idea of having a mental illness. It's again just an illness, mm. and there's lots of really good medications out there that can support you even temporarily to get over a hump, and then then you you know you can uh, move on. Some of the things that help with mental illness are ex exercise and good eating. We were talking earlier about exercise, how, how important that is. Mm. Um, making sure that you've got routine, a routine in your life, a good routine in your life. Making sure that you've got good friends and you work hard at your friendships. Yeah. That you're spending time thinking about them. You're not just working all the time. Yeah. That's making sure you're spending time with your family. Yeah. Don't, you know, mm -hmm. get a work-life balance happening. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so th th this kind of thing, I mean, obviously you've got 35 years of experience here working with people, right? Mm. So... Um, do you is, are those the key things so friendship keeping us keeping ourselves mentally well uh communicating making sure we have those conversations um self-care all of that kind being of stuff. honest with yourself yeah um knowing when you're not feeling well i had i had breakfast with a friend yesterday morning and i felt a bit grumpy so I, I I had to text her and say, look, I'm sorry, I was a bit grumpy. I don't know why. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But That's just life. being honest about yeah. what's going on, making sure that you yeah. you maintain. I don't know what it was. You yeah, know, maybe I slept badly or something. Yeah, getting good sleep is but is we essential. all have bad days though. We right? do. We, we do. all have We're, bad days, and, and we judge so ourselves too much. And we don't. But we don't say it. No. And I think that's that's something that I've learned on my journey, uh, yeah. my own personal journey was. Um, because obviously, you know, it's out there that everyone knows I've got ADHD. So, like, 
that especially for women you internalize a lot okay so it doesn't manifest the same way you know i've just had my son diagnosed he's completely different his is all external external energy mm. mine was completely went inwards mm. um and so part of my learning to address my other issues is communication actually just saying what i feel when i feel it and yeah. not worrying about it and not keeping it in yeah even and if not I, having ex- not 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 living trying to live up to expectations that you can't never meet that's anyway. right yeah so even little things like someone might have said something i don't understand it i'm like can you explain that more you know so yeah. it so there's no confusion or it's just like like you said you know i'm having a bad day i feel a bit grumpy yeah. actually people don't mind that. They accept yeah, that. Yeah, they yeah. go, oh, okay, don't worry about it. But if you didn't say anything, they might go, well, you're yeah, grumpy. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I wasn't that bad, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, what else? Um, uh, if you're going um, to see a counsellor, put the make the effort to do the work you need to do when you're seeing them. Don't just go and see them and think that they're going to solve your problem. Yeah. You need to put in the work. Yeah. If you're going to detox or rehab, put in the work. Mm. You have to make an effort. If you don't make an effort, you're not going to get anywhere. There's no magic wand. There's no magic wand. Yeah. It doesn't. It's not magic. Yeah. And everyone's journey is different. Yeah. And there are different ways to get to the same place. Mm-hmm. But you, you have to explore them to... Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. When my wife and I went to see the counsellor, in fact, she reminded me this morning, we've got our next appointment coming up. The counsellor said to us when we sat down, we said, oh, we, we were really at a bad place, but we've had a bit of a chat since we got here. And she went, most people do a lot of the work before they walk in the door because they don't <laughs> want to be yeah, that of vulnerable. Yeah. And, it's like, <laughs> and I was like, oh, actually, I have been an asshole. Yeah, I'm really sorry about that. Um, you know, and she you said, know what that's like? It's like when you get a cleaner, but you clean the house before yeah. the cleaner gets there yeah. because you don't want them to think that you're messy. Yeah. It's the same that's thing. Exactly, you you know, do a bit of work. I, I, yeah. I can't bear to have a cleaner because I don't want them to see my messy house. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not that I can afford it but you you actually touched on something which reminded me when you were talking when I first got um, sober they talk about keeping your side of the street clean keeping your house clean and that's metaphorically like means all different areas but one of the things that I really was fastidious about was my wardrobe my wife has one side I have the other side Um, when I was a kid I worked for a short time in top shop so I learned to fold clothes and they had to be I think it was 17 or 19 inches wide, and they had this board that you... I, sure. I need to get one of those. Yeah. yeah. And so I've taught all my kids how to fold T-shirts and shirts. Oh, right? So my wardrobe was it looked like a show thing because my life was so messy. Oh. When I was drinking, I would just rip off clothes. Well, I'd sleep in my clothes most of the time and then get up, have a shower, and then put another load on, another load on and just throw the other ones in the, on top of the laundry basket or whatever, or where I left them. And so basically, when I got clean and sober, my whole everything, my organization, Mary Kondo, went overdrive because <laughs> I wanted to make sure that it was mm. all in a in a place where mm. I could find it. And yeah. that was a big part for me. Mm. Um, mm. I think um, being honest with yourself as well is key and uh, getting help often explores that. What am I actually doing? What do I need to do for myself? Yeah. Um, caring about yourself is the key. Yeah. Because if you care about yourself enough, you're going to try to do the things that will make your life better. But if you're out of control, you need to recognize that and then mm. try to make some steps to yeah. Yeah, yeah. get back. 
So there's all different pathways that we could take. So start with the GP, talk to friends, um, talk to loved ones. You know, there's nothing wrong with sitting down with that conversation as what you did with me. Call call someone, uh, you know, get online and have a chat with a counsellor. Call a counselling line, Mm. arrange a counsellor. I listen to... um, so I listen to it every week, but Minister Sobriety, they did it, had a guest on in, in, from the UK that, that, that spoke about something that was terrifying. And this lady explained that her son had committed suicide because he'd gone out, he, was, he had everything to live for. He bought a house, that day he was going to go out and buy a fridge freezer, but he'd gone out the night before and he'd taken alcohol and cocaine. And apparently it creates another chemical in the brain when you mix the two together which can make, makes you completely unrational. Mm. She said he got out of a taxi at 7 o'clock in the morning and by 8 o'clock he was dead. He'd, wow. he'd committed suicide. Oh, wow. Because this chemical in your brain, um, and I know I've certainly f- experienced that when I was on both of those drugs that, you know, I was like, oh, I can't face tomorrow. I don't know what I'm yeah. going to do. I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. And be, when you're alone, yeah. that's... Yeah, if you're going to take drugs, take take them with other people around mm. if you're going to take psychedelics make sure you've got someone to support you yeah. mm. um, if you're going to if you're going to um, inject um, drugs make sure you have clean needles you can get, get them anywhere in mm. uh, in, in Sydney um, yeah you know but yeah. ironically speak to someone and try and stop is yeah. probably the good idea you know? yeah um, I know that just sounds easy. just say no to drugs yeah, yeah it's <laughs> it took just... me 50 years to say no yeah um, as an industry um, and as we joked, we shouldn't joke actually, but we, when I said this podcast is all primarily about hairdressing, yeah, yeah. barbering and media industry, about addiction, you went, well, it's pretty prevalent in, those, <laughs> in all of those. Yeah. You know, there's no secret that, you know, we do yeah. love, we are a creative industry. Um, you mentioned stigma. Um, what do you think we can do as an industry <clears throat> to take away the stigma? You know, I, I think you can, have, you can have regular discussions at work. You can have events. You can have posters up about about supports. Um, um, you know, you could you could stop for. A, a, I don't know if some some businesses stop for lunch occasionally. Yeah. You stop for lunch and you actually plan to have a talk about and ask people how they are. Yeah. You you talk about the prevalence of addiction in the industry and how people party on, particularly in that kind of you know eighteen to thirty age group age mm-hmm. group. Um, um, you encourage people to say if they're not feeling good, yeah. And you have a discussion. It's you know all about being open and honest. Um, and 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 if you if you say to your employees, we care about you and we want you to be healthy and well, what can we do to help? They'll come up with ideas as well. Yeah. Mm. You know. Yeah. But if yeah. you don't, but generally it's not something that would be mentioned. I'm sure. It's funny because there's been a big movement over the last few years where we've, as hairdressers, there's been some really good education around identifying with our own clients of areas of domestic violence. And Think about your role as hairdressers and how, yeah. well, and counsellors. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're, you're the, you're the, you're where it starts. Yeah, and, and this is, I think, where a lot of the problem lies. It's a good point because we are dealing with people all day long, and we are hearing all different. You know, we, we're yeah. sort of slightly trained to identify if people are not in a good space mm. um, and you can spot it a lot of the time in the consultation people are just all over the place and they're just telling what this they want that and you want mm. it and you go hang on a second mm. what's really going on here um, and obviously with I mentioned domestic well, violence that can that can, that can um, so you need a couple of good numbers up your sleeve 
Yeah. We might try and put them in the podcast yeah. of, of uh, when you're dealing with your clients mm. that you can give them a number, yeah, a, a support line or a number. There is a great, I can't think of the name of it now, but there's a great organization that's really working closely with the hairdressing industry to help mm. make that okay. happen, which yep. is good. My point is, is there's nothing for us. No, no, I was just about to say. Yeah. So the other thing that happens to you is that you hear this stuff and you get you what's called vicarious trauma. It's right. called vicarious trauma. Mm. Right. And vicarious trauma is someone else's trauma that you... Take internalize. Ta- internalize. And, and, and I've dealt with my own um, vicarious trauma and it can cause, you know, a lot of problems. And you have to be able to talk about it even with if you talk about it with your staff and say, I just had a customer who said this, and I'm really concerned. Yeah. But you need to be able to talk about it. Yeah. But I think that's why so way. many, well, me especially, excuse me, <clears throat> at the end of a 12-hour day, 12 mm-hmm. clients, yeah. I'm like, I need a glass of wine. Yeah. Like, that was hectic. Like, I am I know I've, I've got one No, client. I need to talk to someone yeah. Yeah. about what I just heard. Yeah. yeah. Not, I need a glass of wine. That's exactly. right. Exactly. Yeah. But that's yeah, I know. It, the yeah. societal yeah, yeah, way yeah, yeah, is, yeah, oh, yeah, you know what, yeah. just go home and have a yeah. glass of because wine. Because what we yeah. used to do was go to the bar next door and not actually talk about, unless no, it was just, a no. really shocking, Think about journalists. Story. They yep. do that. They, yep. they hear all this stuff and they go and drink. Yeah, yep. 100%. Lawyers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I started off as a makeup artist and ended up being a producer. And, you know, like even the, the, the casting part of shows, right, is, is the most important part. But you're spending hours on the phone talking to people. And you're hearing, and different you're hearing all these stories. And, yeah. you know, There's no my job them. was to take it and piece it together and look at, you know whether yeah. this is the right person for the show, and but you you take it on. You do. You know, you so do. that was the thing. And I'm a single mom, so I'd get home and I'd be like, oh, you know. Yeah. And it was that oh, so, feeling is actually you just want to get the energy off you. Yeah. So actually, you need to be able to park it. Yeah. Even in your mind, and you need to be able to, to dispose of it. You need ways to do that, and the best way to do that is to have someone to talk to yeah. about it. Yeah. And is and work out ways s- to park it. Any other strategies? Like you know, like for me, I found one of the most beneficial things was to get as soon as I got home have a shower you know and I would normally only do that in the morning but once I've done that I don't know it just it gives psychologically as well just gives me something yeah um well really important to not have your phone and your computer in your bedroom yeah. <laughs> well, it's hard because <laughs> I yeah. do it every day. Uh, I've re- you I've you know, good sleep that. is the key. Yeah. yeah. Good sleep is the one of the most important things. Mm. Um, parking stuff, even thinking about, well, when you hear something like that, you go, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to park that in my brain and I'm not going to take it with me. Yeah. Leave it at work. Yeah. Just the thought of it is important. Mm. That is mm. such a good point because that's what I did in the depths of addiction, right? So I would wake up in the morning absolutely buckled and crippled, stand in the shower with my hands on the wall making the go, please make it stop, make it stop. I'd go to work and I would literally disconnect from that person mm. and go, right, now I've got to deal with my client and I need to focus on it. And, and I sometimes get to the end of the day a, without looking in the mirror at myself, I would look at the client or can, I can go all week without looking at myself in the mirror. And I would then um, basically get to the end of the day and go, right, I've distracted myself from the anxiety and the trauma that I've caused. As where when I'm at home and if I've got a day off and I'm buckled and I'm watching Midsummer Murders for the 19th time. <laughs> Then I'm like, oh, the anxiety, oh, the paranoia. Okay, so you're doing a different, we're talking about, that's a different thing. Yeah. Mm. 
So are you saying that you that you avoid yourself? Yeah, I did. Okay, yeah. So that's a bad thing. Yeah, I yeah. know. That's I because, think that's why it went it's, on for a, so long. it's a protective thing. Mm. Yeah. It, sometimes when you when you're unable to deal with your emotions, you have to protect yourself from whatever way you can. Yeah. And in fact, if you if you sometimes if you go to a counselor and they try to get you to talk about stuff that you that's too traumatic, it can drive you away from that. So it's a, it takes a lot of art mm. to be able to start to have you deal with that stuff in a slow and measured way because you don't want to just have it all rush out because you might just disappear. So, yeah. yeah. I think you mentioned that in your episode where you could run rings around a counsellor and tell him what you thought. Yeah. Um, I couldn't find anyone that was going to help me. Do you and, know what I mean? And because what was they doing? What, what, what was I mean, the this problem? Is, this had e- well, this is when I had eating disorders. and um, One of the most complicated. Yeah. So um, it, mine started with bulimia and then eventually turned into anorexia. And I remember going and seeing a counsellor to start off with. Um, this is obviously back in the UK. Um, and there were... I think she, it, it probably it's not her fault, but everything that she said was like wrong. Um, in the right from the get go, it was like, well, you don't look like you have an eating disorder. Like okay. the worst thing you <laughs> well, can say to well, someone. Well, that's just a really bad thing with an eating disorder. That's just like because it was like, well, I'll show you. You know what? Yeah. I'm just going to stop eating altogether. Yeah. And that's when anorexia started because yeah. I thought, oh well, my God. people don't. Yeah, yeah. That's the, so oh that's the. It, that's the truth. That's what happened. That's really bad yeah, practice. It was, and it was, and, like and then I never went back because I was like, "It's like people is... saying to you, oh, ADHD, that's not a real thing.' Yeah, you can't see it. Yeah, you look well, all well, right. Fine to me. Exactly. Oh, yeah. yeah. So terrible. It went down that path until you know I was really far from going and seeking any kind of help for a really long time. Um, I'm extremely fortunate now. I've got the most amazing psychologist, yeah. um, and I've been seeing her for like five years on and off and what what is it what's she good she's incredible because she um i always come out feeling like i've uh, first of all been heard understood very safe um but i she gives me tools and i like that that works for me that really works for me because she gives me things that i can practically put into practice easy stuff step by step and we break it down Every week is something slightly different, um, so, and then and, and it's like okay, yeah, I can do that. I'm yeah. going to practice that this week, and then there's like accountability for the week after, where I'm like, yeah, I did put it into practice yeah. and it worked. Yeah. And then we have a reflection, um, and yeah, I just felt completely not non-judged. Mm. And I, don't get me wrong, when I was drinking, I lied to her. I definitely turned up and I was like, oh, I'm not drinking as much as I was drinking. But I've been honest about that yeah, since yeah. and said to her, yeah, I lied to you. <laughs> She's like, I know. <laughs> so we have that honest relationship. We've built a really good relationship. That's good. Um, and so, I, yeah, for me, I don't know if it's my ADHD or oh, everybody no, no, needs no. it, but the tools. No, no, tools are really important. Yeah. That's called cognitive behavioral therapy. Yeah. One of the wonderful tools that I use with people who have got addictions is we use this thing where we give people tokens yeah and you get a certain you know you get a certain number of tokens and you can you, you need to reduce your drinking so we're going to give you the tokens and you need to use them in this order and what are you agreeing to do and how are you going to reduce mm. and then you have to take your tokens and you have to do this thing for the week and then come back and it yeah. can be really successful for some people yeah for other people it's a waste of time yeah but exactly you've got to find the different. right yeah you, you need know, to yeah. find the right person but certainly being told inappropriate things by not all counselors are good yeah 
Exactly. And, so, and you do have to find the right person, but you also have to put in the effort. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, like finding a job. You've got to find your tribe, right? Yeah. You know. Um, However, a lot of people will say, I went to rehab and I didn't like it. They were really mm. awful. Yeah. Most rehabs are the same. Yeah. They're all the same. Yeah. You've got to actually give yourself over to the process. Surrender. Uh, you've got to surrender. You have to yeah. surrender. Um, I'm, a I'm, I'm a bit resistant to learning and I have my own opinions. And I, when I was learning to be a counsellor, I actually said to myself, because I was a bit rebellious as a child, I had to say, I have to give myself over to this. And I did it and it worked. Mm. I said, I'm not going to criticise. I'm just going to learn. And then I can criticise later. Yeah. So if you give yourself over, you're in a better, you you don't have to lose control. Mm. Mm. Do you feel worried about that? That's exactly what happened to me in recovery. So prior to going into recovery, I used to go and sit in front of a counsellor and I mentally used to treat it like I was in one of them police shows Mm. where I was convicted of something and I would give them so much little I'd give them bits of information but I wouldn't why tell did them, you do that because I was trying to, on a protection mode like I right. would never just tell them the full story like I, almost like I wouldn't tell them where the bodies were buried okay, right? okay, okay. but I would tell them everything they wanted to hear and make it look like and sound like I was in control of what I was but what doing. were you thinking at the time I'm thinking I'm smarter than you okay right? so you didn't give, give yourself over I didn't give myself over but when I went into recovery into 12-step program one of the things is, is A, I had to find, I had to ad- acknowledge, which I didn't at first. I thought it that I had a ha- higher power. I didn't believe in any of that. I was, I was cherry-picked from my recovery at the beginning. But then as time's gone on, I've been now forced, not forced, but encouraged to go back, dig up those bodies, pick them up, hug them, say I'm sorry, forgive them, forgive myself, and then put them away and Thank go, you. you know what, we, we're on this journey together. And I can't ignore you anymore. Mm. And I need to accept and acknowledge that you, that this is part of my story. And mm. I can't get well if I don't do these, follow these certain steps. And I do that on a daily basis. That's good. You know? Yeah, so that's amazing. It was, and it, that's it's, maturity. It's, it's that mm. surrendering, right? And yeah, it's yeah, like surrendering. I surrendered yeah. and went, you know what? I've just been lying to my fucking self well, the whole yeah. time, you know? And, yeah, um, I think that's that, that, That's the biggest part of it, is yeah. actually... It, about, so the word surrender sounds terrible, mm. but it's not. No, I love it now. It's, it's, yeah. I wish <laughs> yeah. it was a different word, actually. Is it, because, you give yourself up to mm, it, it's better yeah. than surrender. Yeah. yeah. You give yourself up to the process. As yeah. a kid, surrendering, they're going to know it's, I'm yeah, going to fight. Right. Yeah. I'm going to fight. I'm not yeah. going to surrender. Yeah. I'm no, not no, you, you, can, you, you need to give yourself over to the process. Yeah. Correct. That's and a better I, way of saying it. One of my biggest things, uh, uh, you know, may or may not know, like with eating disorders and things like that, it's about control. Mm. It's very it's a very control thing and i used control to deal with my anxiety of having adhd undiagnosed right so it's obviously just a way a method um you know so that the the surrender is was a fearful thing like i don't want to let go i don't this i don't want to hold hold on too tightly this is my thing you know until eventually you just you have you have to it's the only way the only way fear anger and resentment however um also, there's also skill in, you know, you're obviously a determined individual with yeah. a lot of skill mm. and redirecting that skill yeah. is really important too. Yeah. Shane, you've been amazing. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Thanks. to me at the beginning, my, my last question for you I've got written down is, is uh, what quick lit books, films or podcasts would you recommend to someone um, wanting to even delve into yeah. uh, being better informed? Now, you mentioned to me something which I can't wait to see on YouTube, a, a film called Nuggets. Yeah. It's a little piece 
about about how addiction happens. Mm. Um, it's a cartoon. Brilliant. And ha- take a look. It's called Nuggets. Nuggets on YouTube. You'll find it. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Amazing. Um, Shane, you've been amazing. Thank you for being our first guest no in the studio, <laughs> other than our three hosts. Yeah. And, um, uh, it's been really fabulous chatting. We'd love to yeah, get you back and talk to you some Happy more. Yeah, to come back. Yeah, um, so nice. Thank you thank for you. giving us your time. Yeah. I think we've... And thank you guys for sharing all that with the rest of the world because yeah. they're going to benefit. So. Thank you. you know, um, those of you that have listened to this podcast, please um, leave us a rating and review. Um, don't forget to tell your friends and subscribe. This is a journey. We are really prepared to channel this and go in any different direction that we uh, we feel necessary, um, even outside of our own industries. We've got yeah. some incredible guests lined up coming up for the future. All the things that Shane's spoken about today, we will put in the show notes. Um, Amy, you've yeah. been lovely once again. This whole time I've been talking into this microphone, I kept because I've had so many coffees. I keep thinking, I wish I had a big breath mint. No, like, no, I've no, because you know breath. what? But you know what's silly? I've been thinking the same. Uh, I'm just, like, I'm like, <laughs> my shoulders up as I'm talking to the I know, going, I know, oh, I know you were. Breath. I could see that. Anyway, um, it's been fabulous, Shane. Okay. And you know what? Well, just before we finish, I know you spoke about ocean swimming. Yeah. One thing I love about you with it, not only is, is Shane an, an awesome ocean swimmer, but um, he's also one of the very few people that swims all through winter without a wetsuit. Yeah, I in, can. Yeah, yeah. And I, <laughs> you got your no, own. I, I, I look at Shane and I go, if he's not wearing it, I'm not wearing it. Because, but let's be honest, within our swim group, they take longer to put them off and on yeah. than they do Saunas and ice baths. Yeah. Have you ever had an ice bath? No. Amazing. Saunas, yeah. ice baths. Our mutual okay. friend has just had one put Maybe into Maybe you should take house. me one yeah. day. Yeah, yeah, well, come with yeah. Well, We yeah. do know someone within our swim group that's got, a, but she's tried turning her house into a wellness retreat and oh. she's just had a permanent ice bath for, um, fitted in with it. Where's wow. your health? So, yeah, yeah, we'll be doing that. Yeah. As if my manhood wasn't small enough. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> let's jump oh in an ice bath. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's been lovely. Thank you very much. Thanks, and, uh, guys. We'll see you again. Bye.